Uh, so tonight and for the next few weeks, if you guys don't know me yet, my name's Adam. I'm the pastor here at Sanctuary as of two weeks ago. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thanks. At some point, it's going to get old when I'm like, I'm the pastor of Sanctuary for 50 weeks now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but here the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be talking about some topics uh, about who is sanctuary. What does it mean to be a part of this community going forward? And tonight we're going to be talking about uh, who is welcome tribe. So that's why I asked that question. So this week I actually did some extreme uh, researching about some of my staff members to see what they were like back in the day. Uh, so the first picture I have, this is Mark Morinishi. <clears throat> Uh, Mark has bronchitis right now, so he's not with us tonight, unfortunately. Uh, Mark, when when I was stalking all of his past Facebook photos, he has a lot of photos of him with his shirt off, which made me uncomfortable (laughs) in the office looking at him. Uh, The next one is uh, Jeremy, our beloved worship leader. Look at that! The biggest problem with Jeremy is I was going through past pictures, and they're all really cool pictures. It made me really jealous. Now, now uh, this won't make anybody jealous. Here's a picture of me. From <laughs> so, so at some point, at some point, I know, in, uh, when I was in El Salvador, Somebody's like, Adam's leading worship in the middle of the tropics. It'd be great to take a picture of him and put it on the public internet. So I found that, uh, man, that's me. So let's, we can take that picture down now. Go ahead. Uh, oh, you're going to leave it up? Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, tonight we are going to talk about this idea of, uh, of tribes and what it means to be welcome here. Uh, you know, when I first went to college, I had an experience that's probably not all that Uh, uncommon. I grew up in a small town, and I I grew up in church. And so I went to college, and I tried to get involved with churches. And I didn't really know a lot of people. So uh, several churches and even college groups I went to, I would go to them, and I'd try to to find a place to connect, and I'd try to find a place to belong. And oftentimes, these groups would already have like their their in-groups a little bit. They were already set. And so I'd go, and I just wasn't able to connect. And then I didn't join a fraternity or a sorority, so I didn't have that in. Uh, <laughs> why did everybody laugh at that? <laughs> okay, yep, gotcha. Yeah, of course I wouldn't join a sorority. <laughs> right. Okay, thank you for pointing that out. Um, I grew up in a small town, so I'd go to these big college courses, and I just had a hard time meeting people. And so at one point, I found myself on a Sunday morning. I just stopped even trying to go to church. And, uh, man, I was just really lonely and starting to get depressed. And I can't even make this up. I started watching reruns on TV, and uh, the movie Castaway came on. And so I'm laying in bed, you know, with my plate of nachos, and I'm watching. I I don't know if I had a plate of nachos, but that's what I always say because it makes me, you know, makes it even more depressing. Uh, But I'm watching this movie about a man who's, who's stranded on an island by himself. That's exactly what I felt like. I felt alone. I felt uh, depressed because I had no place to belong. And so tonight, this is a vital conversation for us to have as a community because this is the reality of what many people feel in our, our world today. I feel like a castaway, someone on the out, 
trying to look in, trying to connect, trying to find a place to belong, and they can't find a place to belong. It's interesting. Uh, a study was done by a former Surgeon General about loneliness. And what they found was lo- is loneliness, uh, the rates have doubled since the 1980s. We're living in one of the most lonely times uh, in our history. They also found in this study that the health effects of being lonely uh, was equivalent to smoking 15 packs of cigarettes per day when it came to your lifespan. So it's detrimental to your health. It's epi- epidemic. Another study I read uh, talked about the three different seasons of life that one would experience the most loneliness. Anybody guess what the highest season of life would be? Yeah, late 20s, actually. Uh, late 20s is, is the season of life where people are sort of figuring themselves out extreme loneliness. And then couple that research with what you and I both know and aware of. Silicon Valley can be one of the most isolating and lonely places to live. Many of us are transplants. We're coming in. Many of you are working at startups. You're working jobs. You're trying to be successful. Uh, even when you do finally make a friend in, in Silicon Valley, that friend's probably going to be gone in a few months, you know. It's constant influx. Uh, and so we live in one of the most lonely places in America. So this is an epidemic. People all around us, at our workplaces, at our coffee shops, are desperate to belong, and they feel like castaways. They're on the out, and they're trying to find their way in. Now, this makes a lot of sense uh, because there's this phenomenon that happens in our, uh, our culture. Just being a human being, we divide life up into two categories, us versus them. It's just natural. It's what we do. The people that have the same opinions as me, that think the same as me, they're, they're like me. And everybody else that's not in us, they're them. And they are not as enlightened as us. That's just how we do things. And so, uh, speaking of that, I have this right here. <laughs> uh, anybody, everybody know what this is, yeah? Okay, some of you might not know what this is, and I want you to know that you're welcome here as well. Uh, I was, <laughs> I was a, a late convert to Harry Potter. I didn't actually start reading the books till a couple years ago as an adult. And uh, so if you don't, that's totally fine. This is called a sorting hat, all right? So in Harry Potter, what happens is uh, at the wizarding school, everybody gets divided up into these four different uh, categories of students, right? And the sorting hat, they put the sorting hat on, and it'll sometimes sing a weird song, and it'll tell you what group you're in, right? What are the four groups? Gryffindor, Ravenclaw, Hufflepuff, Okay, Uh, a little too ambitious over there. Uh, Yeah, those are the four groups. And it's really, I love J.K. Rowling, and I love that I started reading this as an adult because you start picking up on these themes that maybe kids don't completely pick up on. It's a great storytelling device to have these four different groups going against each other. But over the time in the series, what you realize is these groups uh, create prejudice. Even in the heroes of the books, they start seeing the other groups as they or them. And everybody in my group as a Gryffindor, we're courageous. We got it all right. Everybody in Slytherin, bad motives, right? And so I wonder, I wonder if for you, if you've ever thought about that, it sort of seems like in life, uh, we've all been sorted 
by sorting at. You are a Republican. You're a Democrat. You're white. You're black. You're female. You're male. There's these different us versus them categories. And this can happen. Us versus them can happen in so many different areas. This could be politics, obviously. This could be gender. It could definitely be race. It could be age, ethnicity, nationality. It could be anything, us versus them. And for many people in many churches, it's religion, right? Us versus them. So tonight, we want to ask the question, we want to wrestle with the question, when it comes to Jesus, who is the us and who is the them? When it comes to Jesus, who is in and who's out? And when it comes to this community, the saint community, man, who is us and who is them? So I want to look at a story tonight, a story that comes in, uh, takes place in Matthew 9. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, we'll show it on the screen as well, but it's Matthew 9, and this is what it says. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Now, right away, uh, we see Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, and Matthew, a tax collector. This was about as us versus them as you could get. If you're a Bible kind of person, you know tax collectors uh, were like the worst. All throughout Scripture, we see this phrase, sinners and tax collectors. Like they were in their own category. They were worse than sinners. Uh, Tax collectors were the worst for the Israelites. They were sort of viewed as like traitors. And so Jesus is walking along with his disciples, and they probably think, oh, he's about to teach a lesson on why you shouldn't be a tax collector or something like that. And Jesus sees Matthew. He looks him in the eye, and then he walks out of his circle, and he approaches Matthew. He approaches the person no one expected him to approach. And then he looks him in the eye, and he gives him a simple invite. He says, follow me. He says, I want to be in relationship with you. Follow me. And man, people were stunned. They were shocked. This is not what you were supposed to do. This was against cultural norms. And we're, we're at a disadvantage because a lot of times we, we've heard these Jesus stories. And we know a lot about them. And so for us, we don't see how compelling and subversive Jesus was. He defied all tradition and cultural norms, and he goes to this tax collector, and he says, follow me, a simple invite. And then Matthew replies. Nobody thinks, man, this is the guy least likely to follow Jesus. Matthew gets up, and he follows him. After one simple invite, Matthew follows him. And so a quick pause uh, for us to reflect. Who... Who would be somebody in your life that you think, man, that's just the least likely person that would follow Jesus? Somebody at your workplace, in your family? I can think of plenty of people. These are the kind of people Matthew was. And Jesus went and he invited him. And Matthew followed. And then, it doesn't stop there. Matthew didn't stop there. Now, Matthew gathers a bunch of his friends and they sort of throw a party. So he's got all these sinners and tax collectors, and he thinks to himself, man, I'd love for these people to meet Jesus. So we we see in verse 10, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him 
and his disciples. So they're having this party. It's not like your grandma or grandpa's like church potluck dinner, you know? This is a little different. Like these were sinners and tax collectors. I would personally would love to see that kind of party, right? Like you got to imagine it was a little bit uh, irreverent, probably some, some uh, just loud, raucous behavior, right? Uh, man, these were messy people. You know, I love several times in my ministry career, I've had someone come to me after service, and I can tell, like, they haven't been in church a lot, and maybe they're not Christian quite yet, and they'll come up to me, and they'll just say something like, man, I just effing loved worship. And then they'll catch themselves and be like, oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> and, it, man, I just love it. I just laugh. I'm like, no, man, don't worry about it. I love that messiness of just, man, come as you are. Man, Jesus wasn't afraid of that. Jesus was right in the middle of that party. He was with the sinners and tax collectors. Now, there were some other people who were watching this party, and these kind of people would have considered themselves like in God's us group. Like they were in God's in group, and they were watching this party, and uh, they didn't know what to do with it. Verses 11 through 13, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. And here it is. This is what Jesus says. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's read that again. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Here's the simple truth tonight. God wants everybody to be in us. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter where you come from, what you look like, your circumstances. God is after your heart. Jesus sees beyond the things you've done. He wants to look in your eye. And he wants to be in relationship with you. It's, it's the sinner's. It's all of us. There's another conversation that's similar to this that happens in Luke. It says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. How good is that? So we ask the question, who do we want to be as a saint community? We want to follow the lead of Jesus. We want to welcome sinners. We want to eat with them. We want to engage in life with them. This is the, the man we follow. This is what we want our community to look like. And so tonight, there's really two, two groups of people in here, I believe. And I want, to, I want to speak to each group, okay? So the first group of people, uh, you might be considered the, the out group, right? Maybe you are new here. Maybe you've just had a hard time connecting. Maybe your life is just a little messy, and you can't imagine that you would be welcome in a community of, of Jesus people. So if that's you tonight, if you're in that group, I, I want to say as simply and as clearly as I can that you are welcome here, that Jesus looks at you. He looks beyond all those things you've built up on your exterior, and he welcomes you. 
And that's what kind of community we want to be. And we want to tell you, man, this party is for you. It's one of the main reasons we do what we do here is for you. And you got to give us grace as a community. Sometimes we're not good at this. Like, we're not always sure how to show love or show that you're welcome. But I want you to hear at the core, at the heart of who we are, you're welcome here. So don't give up. I know it can be lonely. I know it can be isolating. I've been there. Don't give up. I believe you can find your place here and with Jesus. Amen. Thanks, bro. I'm, yeah, I'm excited too. <laughs> the other group that's in here, uh, maybe you would, you would be what I call the in group. This is, this is your community. This is uh, your people. Maybe you've been here for a long time, and I love that. That's great. The thing you need to hear is pretty simple. You need to follow Jesus' example. There are thousands of people all around us here at your workplace, in your family, at the school you go to. There are thousands of people who are just waiting, longing for a place to belong. And you found a place to belong. And maybe all it will take is a simple invite. And I'm not saying you have to invite them straight here or you, you have to immediately start up a spiritual conversation. I'm just saying you need to find the people outside of your circle and just engage in life with them. Just invite them into relationship with you. That's what we're called to do as followers of Jesus, to invite people into our circle. Because with God, there is no circle. <laughs> And then the second thing is just be relentlessly welcoming. Man, every week we have a hospitality team that does a killer job. I've just started watching them the past few weeks. They cooked some homemade pizza earlier today. It was amazing. Yeah, they do an amazing job. And if uh, that could be a great serving opportunity for some of you. But here's the thing. That's really all of our job too, Right? Anybody that comes in this community, we want to relentlessly welcome them. Not be weird about it. We don't want to be that guy. We don't want to be the weird community. We just want people to know <laughs> that they are welcome fully. That's all of our job, relentlessly welcoming. So for me, going back to my college story, right? So remember where I am, I'm, I'm laying, I'm eating a plate of nachos, drinking a two-liter of Pepsi now, and I'm watching Castaway, and I'm feeling bad. Uh, and I, a couple weeks later, I hear about this worship gathering, and on a whim, I decide to go. Knew I wouldn't know anybody, but I still go. At the end of it, I run into an old high school friend of mine I, I knew a little bit, and we strike up a conversation and this guy, this was before smartphones, mind you, he hands me uh, a card. And he says, hey, man, this is the, the college ministry I've been going to. We meet in a small living room. I'm just really connected here. Maybe this could be a great place. Uh, I'd love to see you at some point. That's all, he, that's all he said. He gave me this card. He gave a simple invite. He didn't even know, like, I was desperate to belong somewhere. But he gave this simple invite. So I take this card. I bring it home, dorm, and then uh, I decide to go the next week. I was like, okay, I'll try it again, and I get there. I take the simple invite, and I get to this group, and then 
when I get there, there's a guy named Jordan. And Jordan was relentlessly welcoming to me. Jordan made sure that I wasn't sitting alone, that I had somebody to sit with. And then afterwards, he, he uh, made sure I had a ride the next week. He said, you can ride with me. It's fine. Make sure you're, you're not alone. And then later on, Jordan happened to be the worship leader of this group. And he found out I, I sang a little bit. And he invited me to lead worship with him to further, to further uh, like, ingrain myself in that community. He was relentlessly welcoming. And now I, I look back at that group, and that's where I solidified my call into ministry. This group became my community. That's actually where I met my wife. Uh, it was because of an invite, simple invite, and someone who is relentlessly welcoming. And this is what we're called to do as a saint community. So you and I, we live in the most unchurched area in all of the country. And we happen to live in one of the most isolating and lonely places in the country. So I want you to imagine with me, what would it look like if 150 to 200 young adults created a place for people to belong? What would it look like if we created a place for people to connect? I want to show you a picture. You've probably never noticed this. I took this out. It's out in our lobby. Uh, I took that, this picture this morning. I'd never seen it. Just read this with me. This is a radically non-judgmental, grace-offering, soul-healing, fear-melting, misfit-embracing community of irrational acceptance. Come on! <laughs> uh, yeah, I tried to get an amen. <laughs> That's how I felt this morning when I read it. I was like, yeah, yes, this is the kind of community I want to be a part of. This is what people around us are desperate for. Imagine if this group of people started breaking barriers, refused to live by an us versus them mentality. Imagine if this community started inviting people to engage in life. Imagine if this community started be, being relentlessly welcoming. Imagine if suddenly Silicon Valley had a place to belong, a community to carry burdens to. How cool would that be? A place to flourish and to grow. A place to be restored and renewed. Man, that's the kind of community I want to be a part of. And I hope you do too. I hope you do too. Because that's who we are. Let's pray together. Father, I, I am thankful that you see beyond our exterior. That you see beyond the labels and the categories that we've been given. And God, you see our hearts. Thankful you look past the times we've messed up, uh, the messiness in our lives, and you embrace us. And you look in our eyes and you say, follow me follow me. Father, I ask that you would give a burning desire in our hearts to spread this love. 
God, that you would help us to see that this church is not just for us. It's for people beyond these walls. So God, we thank you. We thank you for being a God that pursues us in all circumstances. So God, we continue to worship with you. Would you speak to us? In your name we pray. Amen.